0: Well, hello everybody. Um, this is part two of my conversation with Curtis Dunbar. We uh, For part one, we finished off on giving you a little cliffhanger about the voodoo story uh, that happened, uh, the shooting voodoo story that um, I got uh, Curtis to experience in his lesson with me a couple weeks ago. So we start off this conversation immediately kind of getting into that, going into it a little bit and this conversation literally ended up lasting so long um, I think all together we recorded about eight hours of an interview and it's, and it's honestly all really really good information and I didn't want to cut it down any um, I uh, you know my original plan was to make this whole podcast around two hours part one was about two hours uh, or maybe a little bit longer um, and so uh, when we got into part two it ended up going a long time because we we kept coming back to the conversation to record more information. And so I just decided to split part two into two parts. So now we have a part two and a part three. I'm trying to halfway listen to you guys and take some constructive criticism on my, uh, the length of my podcast. Uh, And I did not want to release a eight hour uh, total episode. So um, we're gonna have three parts to this podcast. and uh, I think the cut in this in the middle of this is kind of good timing for it. Um, we ended up having to stop recording this um, halfway through our conversation because I had to go to a YouTube live video that we did. Um, so we cut it there and then got into the next part for part three. So what I'm going to do is, uh, just because of my schedule, I don't I, I really hate releasing episodes you know, week after week after week, if they're multi-part series, I kinda wanna just release the whole thing. So I'm gonna release both part two and part three today. Uh, So if you're listening to this now, um, you also have part three available to you. Listen to it at your own time. It's a great conversation. Um, There's a lot of stuff to learn here. And, uh, but just because of the fact that this is a a flowing conversation that wasn't planned, pre-recorded, and scripted. Uh, I mean, I don't script, uh, podcasts. I just hit bullet points and then I talk about them and I can record them. And so everything is very organized in terms of the structure of information that I release. Um, I can easily do timestamps. Uh, but in interviews, I'm not going to do timestamps because the conversation goes back and forth so much between different topics that it's not really possible to do timestamps because we hit a topic, go up on a tangent, talk about something else, then come back to the topic. So the timestamps would be kind of confusing anyway. But... Um, anyway, so go ahead and listen to this conversation. It's really great. If you have any questions about anything, feel free to send me an email, um, and uh, th- and also feel free to reach out to Curtis. He's on uh, social media. Uh, he's got a uh, he actually does some coaching, um, so you can reach out to him there. Send him an email. Um, I will uh, I will have him on another live and uh, get his contact information out there for you guys. Um, and then we will go, we'll go from there. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was good. Thank you guys all for listening. Um, I will mention again that, um, uh, just stay tuned cause pretty soon we are going to be kind of going live with this little, uh, uh, like three month long sweepstakes, so to speak. I hate that word. It's such a weird thing. But anyways, uh, you guys have a chance to win some really, really cool, valuable things. And that's going to continue to go in the future. I'm going to eventually get really cool prizes uh, that you guys can win. Um, and any, any money that you spend on uh, buying tickets or anything like that is all going to go to the podcast and help the experience for all of you, uh, be better and better as we go. I want to grow this thing to have a huge influence and, and help a lot of people that are unable to access professional shooting instruction or just live in an area where nobody comes whether it be that financially you can't afford taking lessons from a professional for a couple hundred dollars an hour um, or you just you know can't afford the time to leave to travel to to take lessons I I hope that this podcast helps all of you for that so thanks a lot guys and we will see you down the road and enjoy part two of uh, this conversation um, okay, so we're
1: back with my translator, <laughs> <laughs> and we got Bell the dog here. And uh, so we left off the last episode saying that we have a voodoo shooting story to tell. This is serious voodoo. Yeah. So do you, why don't we? I'm gonna turn it over to you, Curtis. To set up the
2: story. Okay. We were were working on something out at OK Corral and it had to do with in some ways like how much I paid attention to a pair to shooting a pair that I was familiar with and the targets weren't terribly difficult. I mean they were decent but not terribly difficult um and I was just I would shoot them and I'd be good uh and then I would just like just randomly miss one and then and then just barely chip the other one like I wasn't paying attention Oops. Oops. um so David looks at me and he said you know in his, in his standard
1: let me wait before you say that Basically, what was happening was we had shot this pair. We started that lesson at ten thirty, and at, uh, it was probably about two o'clock, and we had not left that station. We yeah. we literally were there all day. Yeah, and um, this, uh, but working on different things. Yeah, and um, but when we got to this part of it, what I was noticing was something with your vision is that you know the uh, you're basically your attentiveness and focus on the bird was not as much as it should have been and uh because it had gotten almost monotonous to you and uh, essentially what was happening is you kind of thought that you were looking at the bird and, and create to in a way to create a proprioceptive feedback loop of target movement to body movement to connectedness in the hands and body and gun and eyes and stuff like that you were experiencing it like it was what it should be, but it wasn't. And every
2: once in a yeah, while, yeah, it, it was like because it was too. I was too familiar and comfortable with it. I couldn't. I couldn't get myself to see it and feel it pure again. Yeah, and and it was weird because to me it it just it was it had become elusive. Yeah, you know you looked. I, you know when I would miss one, I would look at you like I, I don't know if it, it was everything was the same. Yeah. And what it was, it was that familiarity, and somewhat boredom with the target, that, that kind of was getting me, mm-hmm. and I was convincing myself I was doing everything and engaged at a hundred percent, but realistically, subconsciously I wasn't. Yeah. And, uh, so he. Uh, <laughs> He looks at me, uh, and then says a standard phrase, "I want to try something here." (laughs) And and I was like, "What do you want to try?" He was like, "Give me your glasses." I thought he was gonna, you know, put a piece of tape over one eye or or uh, you know, like clean them or something like that. And he hands me his glasses, and he's like, "Put those on." My immediate reaction was, "I'm not gonna be able to see shit." What's your prescription? Um, I don't know what it is. I have, my eyes are good with, I mean, with, uh, uh with my RX, I can see 2020, mm-hmm. um, or a little better. Um, but I have, I have really, I have a lot of stigmatism mm-hmm. in both eyes and it makes it so that, you know, the center of my lenses are really super thin. But the edges of shooting glasses, because the the glass is so big, I mean it's it's three eighths of an inch, yeah, thick, yeah, over on the you know on the far right and far left. I and mean, if you take your
1: prescription middle. off, how can, can you it's
2: bright out? Yeah, it'll start a fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll, oh. it'll focus. It'll focus all energy of the sun into one one small dot. When you but
1: when you take them off, could you read your phone
2: at all? Um. Yeah, can, I I can read my phone.
1: Can you read my computer screen behind? Nothing. Me? Yeah, no. it's like I a blur read. at distance, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, like all the edges of everything, and it gets worse at further distances. I mean, we're in a room. And the edges of everything, beyond, beyond my hand, really, yeah, are it, it are are fuzzed, yeah. Um, and when it gets, <clears throat> like, if there was like a shoebox with the name of the shoes on it, and it was sitting across the room, I would barely be able to tell that there was a name on it. Wow. It, like because everything would be fuzzed together, mm-hmm. so. You know, if I were to start looking at distances, I could see that there's a trap, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I might be able to see that there's a fence, but I might not really be able to make out each fence post. Yeah. You know, they would be so... Some things shrink and kind of disappear. Some things get big and fuzzy and and bigger, Mm -hmm. you know? But like street signs, no. You know, I I drive with glass. I wear glasses all the time. Yeah. Um... okay so what
1: did what so what happened
2: so you were like here where are my glasses i can't see shit not only are they they're they're a completely different color they're made for people that can't see color or some (laughs) crazy thing i don't believe more voodoo yeah more voodoo more more just excuses why he misses rabbits in the grass (laughs) but um so he's like, okay, we're, we're going to shoot this pair. He puts on my glasses, which I can't imagine. I mean, I couldn't see he, a thing. He 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 definitely couldn't walk with them on. No way. I mean, I could walk with his glasses on because the ground isn't very far away. Um, but if there was like you know if there was a little a little crack or a, a little rise in a sidewalk. No. I probably would trip on it. You wouldn't. I wouldn't see that I, I wouldn't kind of see depth with your anything. glasses
1: I could not see steps.
2: Yeah. I would struggle with your glasses to see the edge of steps. I yeah. could tell there were steps there, but I seeing the edge and like putting my foot in the right place. Yeah, mm-hmm. I probably would stumble going up. Yeah. So, he says shoot these. And I was like, "Okay, let me look at them." And he throws them and you know, so like the things up in the sky, things things at distance, they look like starbursts to me when I don't have my glasses on. So it actually looked like I could not see the target. What I saw was like a UFO of five perfectly symmetrical like fuzzy balls that were tiny. Yeah. And the reality is, is the target was in the middle of those. Yeah. But I mean, I couldn't see any definition. I couldn't, t- I couldn't tell distance or anything on either one of the targets. All I could see was that UFO move across the sky. Um, and it's not got any definition to it. Yeah. And he says, on a
1: scale oh, of ten, one to 10, how hard
2: was it to see? On a scale of one to ten, fucking twenty-five. <laughs> I mean, it was. We need a new scale. I mean, it was like I wasn't. I couldn't see it. Yeah. Realistically, like you know, if it was, if it was a baseball and somebody had thrown it, thrown it to me, or a frisbee, um, I it would show up three feet in front of me. Yeah. Like I mean, I would see something blurry, but I wouldn't be able to tell where it was or how fast it was going until it got within a, within kind of a close distance. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, Oh no, here it is. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and swap my hand at it or something. Right. But you know, shooting this one, one of the targets was, Oh, maybe 35 to 40 yards crossing. And the other target came in from maybe, um, about 45 to 50 yards quartering, and uh and kind of curling uh curling away to the left. And it was that way for both targets. They they never cleared up. They, yeah, yeah. There was never anything. It's just I could, you know, I could tell speed of the Eurof- the UFO. And he said to shoot it. So, you know, I made I made the move. I focused on what I thought would be the right thing to do, which is like basically kind of focus in the middle of the UFO, which without my glasses, I don't know what my eyes were doing. Focus wise, they, they didn't really have something to focus on, but I could still feel the movement mm-hmm. of, of the little UFO in your body, in, in my body and yeah. in, in, in the gun and everything. And I shoot the first one and the UFO disappears and I go to the second one. And I shoot the UFO, and and it dis and it disappears. And when it disappears, you know I can't see I can't see to the point where, when it disappears, if it were to break in half, I no longer would see that. That would be too small. It yeah. would not, and so I couldn't tell what happened to it. I couldn't tell if I chipped it. I couldn't tell if I smoked it. Um, or if you miss it and the recoil makes your eyes it. Yeah, it's just the five dots and what made up kind of the UFO was gone after I pulled the trigger mm-hmm. both times. And he was like, do it again. You hit those. So I did it a couple more times. And he was like, do you even, do you even realize that you're smoking these? Literal soot balls in the air. And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I, I, I'm just shooting... I'm just shooting into nowhere it's total voodoo I, I don't even know how it it shouldn't be able to happen so I can't, I can't read i at that distance if it was a billboard yeah I wouldn't be able to read the words right you know and this is a target that's four inches yeah it, they were black. Um, no, one was black, the other one was orange. Sorry, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah the incoming was
1: orange. The yeah. Cross the Chandel was, black. was yeah. black and the yeah. quartering bird was orange.
2: Yeah. And uh you know, and I did it several several times. And you Curtis, you did it for a full box and you missed one or two targets. Yeah. So, I mean, this goes back to, you know, do you have to see the rings? You don't have to see the rings. Hell, <laughs> I didn't see shit. So, right? what it is you know?
1: And so now I'm going to explain it from my perspective.
2: Yeah. So in all actuality, I have to admit,
1: you didn't hit any of them. And I was... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I was like, I've lived
2: the last three weeks thinking I I did something amazing. Well, <sighs> we all, it was we all a psychological it. trick. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: Don't, now don't now, now, now go coffee.
2: out there and break targets. <laughs> don't laugh with oh, coffee. Okay. Oh. Okay, coach. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, um, you're good. We got you all tuned up. You're yeah. good to go. Yeah, you go to jail. Ch- anything. Right. I
1: don't know. I gotta take my glasses off. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, okay, so here's what happened. And it and when I said I want to try something, um I was I, so I was playing a little bit of a psychological game with you on that because I wanted you not to have expectations um, but I knew that it would work uh, because I both tested it and I understand the neurological science behind mm-hmm. that. So here's where it all comes together. With what you experienced. Um, it's the difference be- so let me ask you this before I before I explain. How much better did you feel the movement of the bird in your body when you had my
2: glasses on? That was the interesting thing. Because now it you know for me now it like it changed it. Yeah. In me. um, Because you know when when you threw the first bird it's like now I have to try and see it. Mm-hmm. And I have to put everything into seeing it. Yeah. But I still got to make the move. But the, the move was very, very, and pulling the trigger was very, very subconscious. Mm -hmm. I had, didn't have much consciousness of it less than I normally even shoot with, Mm -hmm. you know, even if I shoot something quick or something, um, less like, like, the least I'd ever shoot something
1: yeah consciously
2: consciously, yeah, um, did it how f- I was very, very conscious of my eyes, yeah, and trying to see you, you know um you know, it was it reminded me of being back in the back in the room mm-hmm. back in
0: oh no we're good, at the mind. back
2: at the back of the room, you know, when somebody's writing on the whiteboard or something like that, and uh And not being able to see or, you know, um, and not being able to really stay with it. But I'm, oh man, it was, it was just 100% on, on the, uh, on the eyes and nothing on the move. And, and, and I don't know, maybe I was only, I don't know, maybe I was 60 or 70% on with, you know, effort with the eyes prior. prior prior to that. Yeah. I mean, so here's what that makes it feel like I was only 50% effort with the eyes. You, you know, I mean that, that was comparably like 120% effort with the eyes. What it all goes into is kind of like the
1: neurology of how your brain and eyes communicate and work together. Um, A lot of it has to do with what I've talked a lot about in my podcast episodes in terms of the differentiation between learning a physical movement and then having it already been converted into that non-conscious control, which is the CPGs, a central pattern generator, sending signals to your lower motor neurons as opposed to the upper motor neurons doing that. Upper motor neurons is conscious. CPGs is non-conscious. C- CPG, central pattern generators controlling a physical movement would be something like your breathing, the, the, co- mm-hmm. the contraction of your diaphragm or when you're walking and not thinking about your feet or when you're blinking your eyes. All of those things, that's all non-conscious um, and, and that's controlled with the CPGs. O- over time, we learn physical movement consciously y- using it, controlling it with cent- uh, upper motor neurons but then it gets converted through all the stuff I've talked about, especially in that um, episode three of series one, uh, it gets converted through basically spikes of dopamine that get, get uh, uh, cataloged and then over time become their own system. So what's interesting about all that, when you take that into our understanding of how the eyes work, is that that proprioceptive feedback loop of, of connectedness and synchronization and harmony, to allow a CPG-controlled uh, m- like motor control s- signal to be sent. Meaning, uh, let's say it. I might need you to, as a translator on this one. But basically, what it is is like, <coughs> in, in order to move the way that you already know how to. Because you've been working with me for a while. And, and your non-conscious movement is the correct movement. The problem that happens, though, over time is that when we let psychology get involved in shooting and we start to care about missing or hitting or we start to try to force a result, you're no longer letting the CPGs control your movement and you're deciding to make it be done consciously by how you're using your vision. There's a difference between XY location of your eyes and actual attentiveness to something in your vision. That's where we talk about the difference between smooth pursuit movement and psychotic movement. Um, ocular movement. And when to fully engage smooth pursuit ocular movement with the eyes, it means that we have to have 100% conscious attentiveness assigned to something in our vision. You cannot engage full smooth pursuit uh, ocular movement if you're, if you're paying attention to multiple things in your vision. So what ends up happening is we end up a blend of like psychotic movements and smooth pursuit movements in our eyes. So basically, a translation of that would be we get snappy movements and smooth movements um, in the in the vision. And then we become much more consciously aware of what we're experiencing in the shot physically, because we're seeing everything happen more in terms of the relationship. And then that's where you get what you were hap- what was happening to you visually with the with those birds. Through monotony which is that we feel like we're looking at them really well but it's just because they're in our vision we don't have our conscious attention assigned to those targets and here is where the other interesting part of the neurology comes into play which is kind of a farce when it comes to people talking about what needs to happen with our vision and clay target shooting you'll hear a lot of people talk about that you need to see detail in the bird and look for a spot on the target and You know, look for the shine or look for the rings or look for whatever it is on the target uh, because you need to be able to do that. When in reality, all that is, is it important? Yes. Why is it important is the more interesting question because why it is important is because that acts as a conscious placebo to engage your consciousness into paying attention to something on the target because you start to look for it. When we start to look for the thing on the target that engages more and more and more of our consciousness on the target, and that allows us to engage more and more and more smooth pursuit, ocular movement with the bird, which will increase that proprioceptive feedback, synchronization, and harmony with the target in our physical movement. So all I did with, with your glasses, and this is why I knew it would work, is because I know that It's not really important that you see detail. What's important is that you create smooth pursuit movement with the bird. Well, if I put an obstacle in front of you consciously that makes it harder for you to see, you are going to try harder consciously to see it. Which is going to engage more smooth pursuit vision, uh, ocular movement, because you're engaging more conscious attentiveness to trying to be engaged in looking for and connecting with the bird. So all of your conscious hard drive or or RAM, so to speak, in terms of computer language, is being occupied in the one pursuit of looking for the target, as opposed to paying attention to other things. Yeah, and that's where, and so, and that proves to you that. And the other reason why I gave you my glasses is because they're very high contrast glasses because I'm mm-hmm. colorblind, which would allow you to see that a little easier. Because if you had lower contrast lenses, it would be it would be harder for you to see without your prescription because it would blend into the color of the background. Yeah, but- the
2: the contrast actually was was really dramatic, but it it really just made like the UFO or Starburst like just different. It, amplified. You know, yeah. yeah. Like the clouds were amplified. But I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't really see the clouds. I mean, it looked like, like the clouds in the sky looked like like spilled paint. Yeah. Type of thing. It yeah. Was,
1: this is why for me as a colorblind shooter who, now let me make sure that I preface what I just said with, the, or I, what what do you call when you, the opposite of preface? Post something. Po, post fist. <laughs> I'm going to post fist what I just said. Yeah. Um with this that what I'm talking about here is uh, I am saying that that um acuity in vision is less important than we all say that it is. But that's that's only if you have good visual discipline. If you don't have good visual discipline, you need to have visual acuity so that you can uh, distract your conscious mind
2: by looking for something on the bird. Well, and understanding that when you talk about visual acuity, visual acuity is a little more is a lot more important as you view targets so that you can understand what the target is doing, maybe how it's rolling, when it's rolling where it's crossing a branch in the background so that you can get the line and stuff like that. But you don't need to see and register those things when you're shooting. You need to understand what those are, you know, so you you, you don't need to necessarily use the high acuity when you're shooting because the fact that the target rolls well you're not you shouldn't be processing that during the shot, right? You're not trying to learn with that level of, of sight detail at that time. You're trying to, you know, you're wanting to match the speed of a moving target and feel the speed of, of the moving target and understand its location and its future location. But you, you don't, you know, again, seeing the fact that it says white flyer on the top of it does you no good. Well, where where it comes
1: into play is that basically we kind of kind of redefine what visual acuity should mean. It doesn't matter if I see more detail than you, or if if so and so sees ten times better detail than any of us. What matters is that um, like none of those things benefit. Like I'm not at an advantage if I can see more detail than somebody else. All that matters is that I know what my top-end level of detail is if I don't have good visual discipline, which would be defined as my ability to fully synchronize smooth pursuit movement ocularly with the, with the bird. Um, if I'm not good at doing that, if I don't have the discipline and the, vis- and the control of my emotional state to allow my eyes to do that with the bird, then all of a sudden acuity becomes important because it's a way to act as a placebo in order to distract my conscious thoughts into looking for something on the bird so that I'm not looking for something on the gun and but this is where I think that using a placebo both in in like in any application is never really that good because it doesn't give you what you actually need in order to be able to execute the real actual fully put together move if we have to use the placebo of looking for something on the bird to connect our eyes what happens if we can't see anything on the bird because of the lighting well then well, I, I can't see anything on the bird, so then I'm not going to be able to connect my eyes to it. We have to understand that those two things are yeah. not connected. They're not defined by each other. Your, yeah. your ability to create a connected move physically with the bird and to synchronize with the bird has nothing to do with visual acuity. It has all to do with visual discipline.
2: Yeah. I mean, just take it like would the shot, if, you, if a tennis ball, a painted black tennis ball, Could fly in the same way at the same speed, you know, decreasing, curling, doing the exact same thing at the exact same rates as what a clay target does. Are you, would you, would you say that? (laughs) That was the food being delivered (laughs) and Bella running off the couch. I mean, you, the shot would be the same, Mm -hmm. Right so there would be no and you'd have no detail it would look like a a black ball yeah flying through the air you wouldn't need to see you know rings or or defined edges on it the shot would be the same the feedback would be the same right you're not getting anything out of that level of detail yeah is the bottom line yeah i mean you you, do... you
1: you're not getting anything out of it if you can uh, optimize your discipline you are getting something out of it if you haven't worked on your visual discipline.
2: Yes. All right, we'll pause this. Go get food. So we were talking about focus and whether or not we need to see, you know, visual acuity and how much detail that we need to see and and, and that type of thing. Yeah. You know, and then we were interrupted by Indian food. And Bella going and full guard <laughs> dog on us. Yeah, 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 which is... Really not very guard doggy, but she ran over quickly to get hugged. It, it is doggy, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, do we have any more to say on that? I mean, well, I, I, mean,
1: mean, I mean, I would, I would, I mean, do you have any questions on it?
2: No, no. I mean, it was amazing to me what that little experiment was and how it changed how I was basically being at the time Mm -hmm. and it got me out of I don't want to call it a funk because I thought I was I was being fine I've experienced that before where it's like you're you've convinced yourself that you're 100% in yeah and and if you're honest with yourself you kind of know you aren't but you you, a lot of times we're not honest with ourselves on that right You, you know it's like you know, I want to break the target. I want to feel this target, but I'm shooting it again, right? And there it is, right there, right, like. So, so my question to you would be: How will you
1: avoid making that mistake in a tournament?
2: If I, f- one thing that I can do, and this is like one of the simplest things, is. Um, that if I immediately feel I need to defend against that would be to make a new plan and have that plan be a little bit different than the old plan. Maybe I'm going to move towards shooting the target a little sooner or quicker. Um, or maybe I'm going to move towards shooting the target later. But I'm gonna move off of that original plan. I'm not gonna do it I'm not gonna make that decision after I call poll mm. I'm gonna make that decision between the birds if I feel this starting to happen. Maybe I took maybe I took a lost bird and I felt a complete disconnection. Um, that's that's probably the easiest way to re engage like that is the new plan. I've had some success doing it like that when I've when I've recognized. Sometimes I don't recognize. Um, another I'm not quite sure how to uh keep the same plan and and get myself back to the way I want to be for that bird.
1: Yeah, so the approach of yeah, the approach of changing the plan, it's always important to understand really what's happening. And in order to do that, we have to really very well define how we experience that thing that is happening so it would be important for you to be able to and this is why coaching is valuable as a competitor because when i have to explain to somebody what it is that they're going to experience or what is bad to experience that means i have to understand it well enough to be able to define it and communicate it and so that also means that it's much more easy for me to consciously recognize when it's happening. So one thing that you will have to do is in your own way, you will have to define the and differentiate those two visually conscious versus non-conscious experiences um, and, and understand in every way that you possibly can across all categories what did it look like? How did it emotionally feel? How did it physically feel? What were you thinking about? All the things that matter. You'll have to define what it is like to exist in and out of that uh, desired state visually, mm-hmm. so that way you know when you are and are not inside of it.
2: And that's and, that's that can be if you if you're not familiar enough with yourself and have. Put these things uh, under scrutiny and under test, and failed them, and uh, gotten a, a better understanding of how you feel, like you're like you're talking about, and what these things are like for you. you it's very hard to recognize. Yeah. Um. And that's what takes. You know, as we as we talked about. Um, in uh, I think we talked about. Uh, yesterday the day before is a body of work Mm -hmm. of after you've had some of these realizations in what it takes to to do some of this you have to then create a body of work with that realization attached so that now you have reference points for yourself as you know am i be am i be are my eyes becoming lazy um, and I think back to that and I think now as at that point, you know, if I had to kind of put it in layman's terms, like I was looking at the target before we saw up the glasses, I was looking at the target, but I was actually probably more looking at a target and what was in the nothingness around the target. Yeah. And I wasn't actually honing in on the target. And so one thing that could do that would change that is, okay, decide that I'm going to look at the front edge or the, or, you know, depending on how the target is fine or the bottom edge or the back edge or whatever, so make it a little more specific. If I've gotten unspecific in what I'm looking at, you know, if I'm, it's, I think it's fine to look at the target as a whole I don't yeah. I don't necessarily feel on a lot, a lot of targets that you have to be looking at that front edge or you know, the ring or whatever right yeah. we, like we've discussed but I do feel that you have to be specifically looking at the target and if you've and if you have sloughed off a bit and I think people would understand what this what I mean by this is that you're you're seeing the target that's not it and you see it well but you're you you're you're looking at a four inch disc at what is it you know 35 yards and you're looking at the three feet around it yeah also that's how far you've come down with your focus on the target and sometimes that fools you into thinking that you're looking at the target when you're really not you're looking, Add a picture of the target and and what's around it. Where there's nothing. It, it's
1: literally it. it literally can be defined, and this is why I like to use this word. It, it there is a difference, and people say there's a difference between looking at it and seeing it. To me, those are still the same things. Mm-hmm. What I like to define it as, like in the example that you just gave, where you know even if you're looking at the whole area, you're seeing a three foot area around. I still consider that that's looking like, yeah, you're looking at the target, mm-hmm. but what I want you to do is pay attention to it. Yes.
2: Yeah. And you can't, if you're looking at the picture of the target and the target is in the middle, right. And you haven't shrunk down to really pay attention to the target. Yeah. You're not actually looking at yeah. the target. You're looking at, I say a picture, uh, the picture of the target is. In the picture Mm -hmm. instead of looking just at the target and what is it doing? Yeah, you you want to pay attention to the target and connect
1: the consciousness of your thoughts to it.
2: Yeah, and that's where I say if, you know, if you feel that you can't get that, you you know, that your eyes just are not cooperating with you and they're not kind of zooming in on the target... um, then i feel that you you got to you have to change something about it yeah because you have to ask your eyes to do something you already are asking them to zoom in on the target and they're not doing it in the in the plan that you have given it yeah right so change the plan change what you're zooming on right don't zoom in on the whole target zoom in on the very front edge make it different so that you know, your subconscious mind, you know, which does, I mean, pretty well controls what the eyes do, you know, then it's got a new plan. It's got, it's got a new task that changes what it's being lazy about. One of the things that I
1: really like to do myself um, because of what is important to do. Which is pay attention to the target yeah. as opposed to see the bird. What I like to do is I actually try to find the thing that's the hardest thing to see on the bird, and that's what I look for. and which is complete opposite of what I've heard every other person say ever, which is look at look for the thing that stands out to you on the target and look at and pay attention to that. Um, and the reason why I don't like that is the exact same reason why I had you take your glasses off and use mine when you were shooting is because you thought you were, you were looking at the bird. If, and if you're looking for the thing, that's the easiest thing to see the thing that stands out to you. It's yeah. very easy to see it and look at it, but not pay attention to it. What I want to do is look for something on the bird that I can't see. Let me say that better. That I cannot see. I want to emphasize that. I'm looking for something on the bird that I cannot see unless I'm paying attention to it. And that allows... Even if I don't find it, then the purpose that I'm doing it for has already still been accomplished. Because my attention is directed towards that bird consciously and visually which allows me to use smooth pursuit vision. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I see that thing or not. The fact is that I'm looking for it in all actuality if I don't see it. That's actually kind of a good thing cuz it maintains and occupies my conscious thought mm-hmm. to continue to look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, a really very simple example of this that is a is a big thing on a target that is hard to see is if you get those orange they're called orange dome but it's not orange top it's like the the birds that have the black rim i yeah, call the black them black rim yeah i call them black rim targets but yeah, everybody black rim always target, yeah. tells me i'm wrong but those right. things
2: man, visually those things are they're a little tricky well this is what i do on know? those if, birds if you haven't seen a lot of those targets
1: yeah, they're my favorite. You know, I mean... They're my was, favorite target because optically they give you such so much room to work with as a target setter, both in that they you they are visible in every background. Yeah. But then the other reason is that in certain backgrounds, you can really play with other people if they're oh, not they paying can attention. kind of
2: look like a MIDI? Yeah. Or I a mean, Razor Blade too Yeah. Or they can look like a bat Yeah.
1: So this is what I do. A, a perfect example for people is I'll throw... Like when I'm setting targets that I'm teaching on, I throw kind of an edgy black rim bird in dark tree background. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to look for the orange because it's the easiest thing to see. And the orange looks like a piece of paper in thickness flying through the air. And it, mm-hmm. and so, of course, that's going to elevate your emotional state. You're going to get amped up. You're going to move fast, going to lose control. But if you look for the black yeah, instead of the orange, because the orange is easy to see. If as that bird is flying through the air, you try to find the black part of the bird, two things happen. Number one, you'll notice the bird gets slower. Number two, you'll notice that it gets – well, actually, this is the same thing. It gets slower and it gets way bigger because now your brain isn't just paying attention to the orange and it makes the black disappear. You see the black. And peripherally, you see the orange, and so the bird looks so much bigger, it removes your anxiety, allows you to control your body better. I agree. Um, yeah. And then the same thing happens when, I don't know how much this, this works for people that are not colorblind, but for me, if you throw that bird in the sky, kind of edgy, I don't see the orange in contrast with the white sky. It looks just like I, the orange blends in with the white if I get the right lighting, and so I can only see the black in the sky there. Yeah, so, and so see I'll that. look for the orange. You see a little donut. Yeah, so I'll I'll look for the orange in the sky if it's edgy, and then that makes the bird bigger and and yeah. everything that. So that's an example yeah. of what I'm talking about, but it doesn't have to be that way.
2: No, you know, I
1: mean, it can no. be anything. It that's can be hard color, for you to it see. Can
2: be, you know, the color variation because of the shadow. The shadow, if the if the pitch is right, if the pitch or roll are right is right. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's not much light on the underside front of the target. Let's look at the front, and, st- and not just looking at the front edge of the target. Let's look underneath the front edge of the target at this, at the darkest part. Yeah. Right? And look for something like that, and that target will slow down easily. Then. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, that's, that's pretty, uh, Pretty amazing how that it plays tricks on you there. You kind of, sometimes you kind of have to trick yourself into doing it because, you know, you shoot so many clays. And I think everybody can kind of, uh, should be able to understand what we're talking about as they think about how they've looked at clays and they think about the ones that they could just see so good. And the ones that they had trouble seeing, mm-hmm. or that they had trouble making a connection with, and they can, you know, think back and use kind of a little photograph in their, in their memory about was I really seeing that, or was I looking, around it, it, you know, and not being specific enough, about what I was looking at. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think it's in. I think I need to make sure that that we don't give a confusing message because before we went to before we went to eat we talked about how visual acuity is not that important but what we were really what we were saying if in case we we mixed up the communication and, and, and didn't communicate it well enough is not that visual acuity is bad not that you don't want to look for detail and instead you just need to be able to see contrast and stuff like what we're saying is that we need to understand why visual acuity is important. It's not because it's important to see detail. Visual acuity is important because trying to see detail or being able to see detail allows you to attach your attentiveness consciously to something and that influences how your eyes work better. Yes. So that's what we're talking about here. Be,
2: they have if they're if your eyes are going to move fluidly, they have to be attached consistently to something.
1: Yeah, so in that case it doesn't Really, it's not like the detail that you see is the determining factor of whether or not you hit it. It just allows you to attach your consciousness to it. Yeah, And that goes into the whole example I've done multiple times on many podcasts, where I'm not going to do it again. But where I, t- I talk about how, you know, look at the wall and pick two spots, move your eyes back and forth and you feel them snapping. Now look at the left spot and try to, you know, move your eyes smoothly in between from one spot to the other, you can't. You have to put something in front of your eyes, focus on it, and, and then move the thing that you're looking at, and then your eyes will move smoothly, but they cannot move smoothly without something to consciously attach your vision to and your attention to. And that's what we're talking about. That's why you see targets better and slower if you use smooth pursuit vision. Um, okay, so that would be my question, which I feel like you answered, which is that how will you ensure... That you won't make that mistake in a match. Me?
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'll make that mistake in a match. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm like, still I'm still learning enough about it. Um. On on how to recognize and correct it. Yeah. Um. I still run into instances where, uh, you know, it'll bite me on a stand and I don't realize it's happening. And I don't, you know, I can feel afterwards and during it. That something's wrong. And then afterwards is uh, sometimes when I identify like, "Ah, I just really was not looking at that target. I convinced myself I was, you know, and the tough thing is, is making sure you're doing it every time, recognizing when, when you're not as readily doing it and correct and making a correction of it before it before it gets you and costs you yeah anything and, but that's a learning that's a learning experience i mean the game's complicated and that's and that's getting really down into the um into the weeds but you know here we are you know we're having a conversation you shot 100 uh the other day you can't do that without understanding that about yourself yeah because you have to be that far in into the weeds if you're going to shoot a hundred. That's not just luck, right? If you're going to purposely go shoot a hundred, it's gonna. You're gonna have to be able to understand what you can do and how your eyes are working and how you feel before you take the shots because you can. Hit one bird and you're ninety nine, in there. Yeah, it it's
1: uh, on a on a course like that. It's not luck. There's courses where it can be. Uh-huh. You know, if if you a charity course where everything has a spot that it hangs. Yeah. You know, but on a course like that or other courses that, you know, some some of the pros shoot 100 perfect 100 straights on um you you I mean, I can tell you, I can't speak for anybody else, but I can speak for myself like when I shoot a hundred straight, I, I was thinking about this on my way home on Saturday, Sunday, uh, and I was filling out my shoot analysis sheet. And because that was a monthly tournament, obviously, I I didn't get a perfect score in every category because it had no preparation. Right, it, there was an, I didn't practice for it. I didn't sleep. You know, pay attention to my sleep. I didn't okay. do any of that stuff. I you know, heck, I, it's an hour and forty five minute drive, and I left it at 1115 when we shot at one
2: one day, <laughs> you know, but, uh, well, shoot, we were, we were still eating dinner at eight thirty in downtown Texarkana. Yeah. And you drove home and, and Sunday when you shot the hundred, it was a nine o'clock start and you drove back. Yeah. I think I got home at 1130. Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah. I, and so, you know, obviously that wasn't, you know, perfect sleep or anything or, or perfect preparation. Um, but so it wouldn't be a, a perfect round on the shoot analysis sheet, but what, what I was very interested in was, my, uh, because I knew after Saturday, I had got the idea that I wanted to do this podcast, uh, and with this topic, uh, which is basically kind of all revolving around self-awareness and being mm-hmm. able to pay attention because I, I was, I was shooting good numbers and I had a lot of people asking me questions about like, you know, you must have been hyper focused in the round and, you know, you, you know, you must be practicing a lot and, you know, like, what are you doing? And, (laughs) and, um, practicing a lot. I mean, (laughs) this is going to sound, where's my gun now? Yeah, this is going to (laughs) sound egotistical, but, but literally I have, that was, I believe if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't. I can't think of a tournament in between nationals and this past weekend that I shot. So that's five months. and I've, and I practiced once with Dawson, once with you and once with Wyatt and Lynn in five months. and with you was a hundred shells with Dawson was about a flat and with Wyatt and Lynn was a 100 shells. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've shot 450 targets in practice in five months, no tournaments and
2: shot now you ha- in that time. You have watched, you have seen a lot of targets, because you have done a decent amount of coaching mm-hmm. and instruction through throughout those. Yeah, throughout. And I've that
1: taken time. and I've taken shots as demonstrations in lessons, but mm-hmm. all with my students' gun. Yeah. So and my, you've
2: set some targets, and you know, so you've been around it, right? But actually running the full process up through pulling triggers, not a lot. Well,
1: and, and the worst thing is that you know I actually would have rather not done what I did in terms of coaching and being around shooting with other, because uh, the, in terms of being able to perform well, obviously yeah. I don't want to coach. But um, because in every lesson, at least a couple times, I'm going to demonstrate a movement or a shot. I'm using so many different guns. I probably go on an average of, I probably would say every day, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm shooting maybe five to 10 targets every day that I teach. So yeah. five to 10 times every time that I teach. And, um, but the problem is that every gun I'm using is different. Sometimes it's left handed, sometimes it's a 14 inch, like a pull. So then when I go to a tournament and I bring my gun out, my gun feels like a student's gun. It never feels like my gun. And, um, so that's pretty awkward. And you kind of have to learn that, uh, as you go. But, Um, the reason why I'm talking about all of this is because not to kind of like showboat because it's really not what it is is, I was thinking about that round on Saturday I was driving home on Saturday first and Saturday night and I was thinking about like man to go from what happened to me on the Friday prelim when I shot 94 I think yeah, something like that. Something like that. 94 on the prelim. on, And that was a freaking awesome course. Really hard targets. Yeah. So, she 94 on that. And was just kind of like very extraceptive.
2: Yeah. That was weird because the, the targets that you missed, it was just kind of random. Well, it, because what it was was I did not have a good hold
1: on a, an assessment of... All those things that are important to being able mm-hmm. to make the shot that I plan. Yeah. So, and I, I mean,
2: that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, that, that 94 wasn't that, oh, one stand, two stands got me for three birds a piece. No. It was just randomly, you dropped birds throughout the course and they were, you know, you'd be inkball, 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 nothing. Mm-hmm. And like, well, he just missed that. You know, and there would be yeah. no real reason you know it wasn't bad move it was just
1: well you know, it was a bad be- for me what it was was being aware and analyzing every shot what I was making mistakes on was thinking I was ready to do what I had planned to do mm-hmm. and actually not being able to be internally self-aware enough to understand I really wasn't ready like I was unable to do the finite finessed move that yeah. I wanted to do and it just didn't happen it caused me to be offline or I was too amped, or too much yeah. tension my eyes weren't fluid Cold enough. Poland didn't get you, and weren't
2: actually ready. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: In all the ways that only I would be able to tell. Mm-hmm. And so then on Saturday, I was like, okay, I I got a good. I mean, I still won the prelim, but I but. Uh, I was happy with the round, but also we were there to have fun on that round, um, and the. Uh,
2: it's Saturday. Yeah, so Saturday What'd I'm shooting. what did you and, change?
1: Well, I just tried to force myself to be more interceptive, more self-aware, make better decisions. But I still slipped up twice: one on my first station and one halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that, that funny one,
2: one that I missed. Your second one was It's <laughs> like I don't know, you like everything about that one, like you just you just were like okay, one out of ten on all categories. I'm trying it right now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, honestly, what that one was, was my eyes were so freaking, I was making micro adjustments in everything as I went from shot to shot. And my first pair that I shot, I hit, but I did not make a saccadic movement with my eyes from the break point of the first bird to the focal point of the second. Mm Mm-hmm what happened was I shot that first bird and then I came over to the second bird and my eyes came with my gun mm-hmm. Then the bird popped up from under my gun that I didn't see it below and I still hit it. Um, but I wanted to get my eyes down and watch that bird come off the trap. And so I noticed, obviously I noticed that cause that's a massively bad thing to do wrong. And so then I was like, okay, I want, let me rehearse internally what it would feel like to make that move with my eyes. Cause I want to do that on the next pair. So I go to do it on the next pair and I th- was it the third pair or oh it was a three pair station. So I go to do it on the next pair and I saw it so freaking good. I it was so perfect. My eyes went there. I saw I saw the arm being decocked mm-hmm. and I saw it pushed out and I literally saw the the uh, the bird being pushed off the plate from the arm, and I was like, "Oh, time to go!" Boom, and I pulled the trigger, and I wasn't even like a foot off of leaving the first bird.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. I, it was just a miscalibration. Like, the funny thing is, is like you, you're You were there. Wow. Y- you like it was it was five to eight feet off the trap. We were standing above the trap, and. You shot beside it. Yeah. You didn't shoot in front of it. You didn't shoot behind it. You shot beside it. And you, for one, you you were just too close. Like, that was too close of a shot to make. Too close to the arm. Too close, too early in the flight. Too close to you. You know, your pattern well, it's is just not three concern. inches at that point. You know? And, it, it, but, you know... Had you placed the barrel actually on that line, I'm pretty sure you would have you would have smoked it. Yeah, it, I mean, but you were you were five inches right or something.
1: I have no idea where I was. Yeah. It was like
2: a wild shot. Oh, I saw it hit the mud below yeah. it. I mean, and it hit the mud like at the same time the target was still above it, <laughs> right? Because yeah. it was only two feet off the ground, three feet off the ground, right? You know, I mean, I, that target ended up splashed on the bottom with the mud. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was wild. Yeah. But yeah, so, so Saturday I'm running it and I felt like I, I did everything that I wanted to do except for two times. I just got slightly out of control. And I thought that if they set the same type of chorus on Sunday, I, I've i never really actually done this before in sporting clays where I kind of like knew I was going to shoot 100 straight. And uh, just because I had a really, really high level of awareness and I felt like I was making good, good decisions. Um, and all I needed to do was be able to be focused for the round in order to, to maintain that um, self-awareness. And uh, so
2: that's what happened on Sunday. And it took a lot out of you. It I'm took, still it exhausted. Took, it took a lot out of you because we went and shot five stand. After we got done with that round, mid-afternoon, and you were you were just having so much fun. You were all over the place. You did not have it in you to I, be serious uh, about all of those targets also.
1: My plan was to try to shoot well in 5-Santa, and I shot four pair, I think, and I realized I, I pretty much didn't even have the energy to move the gun mm-hmm. anymore, and so I was like, I can't... I, I'm just gonna get annoyed if I try for this whole 50 round. Yeah, I saw saw when it happened. It was yeah. So I just it was was like like, like,
2: you were you were like three quarters of the way. There's like ten bird ten bird stations in the five stand for 50 birds, and you were like at the fourth pair. Yeah, third or fourth pair. And you you just were, and then you just basically were like, and I can tell when uh, on something like that when you're just like okay. I'm having fun now. Yeah. You know, I mean, that you were talking earlier um, when we were talking yesterday, where um, you you said that I still had gas in the tank after shooting my round on mm-hmm. Sunday. Well, I actually, you know, I started messing around the five stand some, but I shot a lot of the five stand purposeful and I actually shot it pretty well, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt like I had it in me. Mm hmm. You know, I was a little disappointed that I had jacked around at the five stand when I got done and realized that I was only a few a few targets off of off of winning, winning the five stand. I was like, oh that oops <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oops. But I didn't think I was gonna have it to be able to shoot the five stand. So I started having some fun in some areas and it cost me a couple a few targets, you know, when I actually did have you know some something left in the tank that I could have. You know, that's how we learn. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I, I, I was never going to really, I was never taking the five stand very serious. I never woke up and said, you know, today's the day for five stand for me. I was just, you know, I hadn't shot five stand in a long while, so I decided to do it.
1: What, what were we talking about that I was explaining something about the progression of Saturday and Sunday? And it was something I was.
2: It had to do, it had to do with eyes and focus. And how, I was and I was backtracking to, to
1: explain increases. the tournament so I could set up what I was gonna talk about for what happened on Sunday and I don't I lost it in our conversation. I don't remember what I was talking about.
2: Nah, I'm not worried about that. Um It'll come back, you. Yeah. yeah. It'll come back,
1: you. Yeah. Oh well, and if it doesn't, it's probably not that important. Okay, well. I guess I just told a story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah
2: I know, dang, oh well, um, the no uh, but I could I, I mean I'll tell you I could see you progress from Saturday from Friday to Saturday to Sunday oh oh yeah that's what it was there was yeah. there was from from Friday to Saturday there was a big difference mm-hmm. from Saturday to Sunday not very noticeable mm-hmm. I noticed it. You were uh, you were more intent on Sunday, slightly more intent than you were on Saturday. Yeah, and it was and there wasn't a fluctuation in that. Mm-hmm. You were intent every station every time that it was your turn to shoot. You were you were intent on shooting. Yeah, and and I could definitely tell you were not taking any targets for granted.
1: No, I wasn't taking anything for granted. And, and it, was, uh, it was basically continuously dialing up and ramping up the intensity at which I was trying to use the feedback of information I was getting from trying to pay attention yeah. to myself
2: in incorporating that into the decisions I was making. I mean, I would say, I would even go as far as to say, on Sunday, I watched you do that, you know, for 50 pairs. Mm-hmm be a hundred percent on all pairs. And on Saturday, I would say I watched you at 85% mm-hmm. of the pairs. And the other 13 that got you to ninety-five, ninety-eight were, you just managed to break them. Yeah. And, and it worked. Yeah. But, uh, even, you know, maybe those were easier birds and you didn't, but even on, on Sunday, even the easier birds you gave a hundred percent on, yeah you know, on on your prep and, and to be engaged with, mm-hmm. you know, and on Saturday I saw you a few times, you know, you ran a station, but were you 100% engaged in those birds? No, you just got, you, you got away. I don't want to say you got away with six, but you got the, you got those six And, but you did it without a hundred percent engagement.
1: Yeah. The, honestly, a little bit of a difference in that for me was the fact that Saturday being a day that we started at one o'clock versus Sunday being one that we start at nine. Um, with the way that my brain works, it's very hard for me to have a day. You know, this sounds dumb, but I actually left late on purpose. Oh yeah. Yeah, because, I, I woke up that morning. I just was not in the mood. You know, we were supposed. To, you might have. Heard, we were all talking about. oh, we get there at ten, kind of shoot around. Mm-hmm. And I, so I got. I woke up. I was planning on leaving and getting there around ten thirty, uh, but then I got a call from Wendell, and I was stuck on the phone with him for a little while. And just the mindset that I was in was like ADHD ping pong bouncing off the inside of my head mode, and I just I was like. I am not going to shoot good today. I can't pay attention to anything. And, uh, it was like one of those days that I'm sure you, you might know what I'm talking about. You just, you just
2: cannot get moving. Mm-hmm. No. And so, uh, I, I was like, you look at the clock, you look at the clock, you try and get something done and you barely have started what should take a couple of minutes. You look at the clock, it's 15 minutes is gone. Yeah. And it's like, and what I, did I do? What,
1: yeah. Yeah. So I looked at the I, I I timed I'm like I know it's basically one road the whole way there, and it takes me an hour and forty five minutes to get there, and I start at one.
2: And I left at. Uh, you came in slide you slid it in sideways on Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, Saturday yeah. I I literally got
1: there. I mean I was pulling in at twelve fifty four I think as well. Yeah, what. because I met you over at the cars. So. Yeah, I left at a I left at eleven, but I had to charge first. Yeah. So, um, I, my GPS, I was going to get there at one ten when I left, <laughs> but I did that. I didn't, I for, I didn't realize I had to charge. Yeah. I thought I was, I was planning on leaving at 11. I'll, I'll get it to where I'm 15 minutes ahead of schedule. But I was like, Oh crap, I have to go charge. That's six minutes North. Then I got to charge and I got to go an extra six minutes South. I don't have any time to do this. So I had to cut off 15 minutes during the drive, which helped me because What it did was it got me very, very focused in the drive and intense, starting about two hours earlier in the round than the round, uh, because for, I hope none of my students listening to this are police officers, but I was basically intently focused on making sure I didn't get pulled over (laughs) for a two hour straight drive. And the intensity of that, which I know does this to me, like, um, having ADHD like it will take me two hours to ramp up into being focused. That did it for me. When I got there, I was amped and ready to go in a good way. Good. And, um, so, uh, but then if I would not have had something like that, it would have been hard to shoot that well there. Um, on Saturday, on Saturday because it's in the middle of the day with nothing before it. Yeah. Whereas on Sunday, I basically, my, my schedule was wake up, Get in the car and go and start, you know. So yeah. it's like a fluid start to the day, all shooting based. Mm-hmm. I don't have to segment my focus, so that was a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, going back to what you're talking about with the, with you know, you had mentioned that that's where we got on this conversation, which was talking about you know, the hundred straight and it that I need to be able to do that with my eyes to be able to shoot a hundred straight on a course mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, and and um. But you can't do that if you're if you don't know where to segment your attentiveness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this: Did you do you have any questions or notes like before we record this that you wanted to ask me for this? Because if we, if you do, we can start with those and then.
2: I, I guess you know when, like with the voodoo story, what really caused you to ask me to switch switch glasses? What what was it? What did you know? Uh, you know what? What did you what, what? What feeling did you have in watching, in watching where we were and what we were doing, that said, you know what? Hey, let's let's try switching glasses and see if this is amazing.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> are you are you asking what caused me to know that that would work or what caused me to see that
2: we should try that or oh, just just or to both. even try it I mean, oh, I, had, I mean had you even tried it with anybody else before really? Um, I, I, I had not I know that you'd put you and I when we first started working together one time you asked me to to try my glasses and you were like wow <laughs> that was yeah and I tried your glasses but that was I oh, mean that was two and a half years ago or something
1: yeah. Um, I, had I done that before with anybody else? No. Um, but I do know, and I did understand the science of what that would cause. And, uh, to me, the way that my brain works is, is just my, my logical, you know, pure acceptance of, of neurological fact was that I, I had no doubt that it would work because I understand the science of how the eyes and proprioceptive movement work. Mm-hmm. Um and the only thing I needed to have happen was for you to be able to see something, mm-hmm. uh, and I and honestly the harder it was for you to see the better. And we had talked after we we paused, you know, after the the break that we just came back from. Um, you know, y- you had mentioned that you wish that you could find a way to communicate to people what it actually looked like for you, and then I kind of explained what it looked like for me. For the I don't think I mentioned it in the first half of this episode so far, but. Uh, i took curtis's glasses right then and then shot and had basically the same result um, and and the best way i can describe what it looked like like what i was perceiving was that someone drew a moving image with uh painted it with watercolor uh, paint and then just took a bucket of water before the watercolor had dried and poured it over the painting and it
2: was just like a and bled everywhere yeah that's that's like what i saw yeah
1: there's just like you know like to me the target looks like a there is i don't really see a target you know it's just like i see moving color in a in a big bled out transparent looking thing it's very hard to see um and uh, you know i had the same result so I, i i knew the science of what would happen i knew that it would work um but as far as what caused me to say, like, oh, okay, this is the thing that we need to try right now, um, is something that is, is hard to relate to, to anybody listening to this, unless you are very, very empathetic and read body language uh, what, and understand how to filter body language of your student through physical movements and thinking and what they're seeing and, and the emotional state that they're in. And that just comes with thousands and thousands of hours of, of teaching people through that filter and being able to read in your body language, how connected your visual attention was to the bird. And, you know, like, realistically were you making a physical movement that was that much different than when you were hitting them all with my glasses on no and for 99.99% of people watching you shoot both times they wouldn't see a difference physically but what i see a difference in is a lack of fluidity and harmonic movement yeah and in a uh in a minuscule fraction of a percent that just shows me that the attention your attention is is like ping-ponging off of multiple different things in the shot. Yeah. And that's what I mean it is. it's
2: just there were I didn't have the the pure connection. Yeah. And you know, you've 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 worked with me a lot, you've shot with me a lot. Mhm. You know, so I mean y- there's times when you're like quit doing this. You know. And most people wouldn't see it, but right. you've shot with me and if you know what it looks like when I'm doing it well, when I'm when I'm off of that. Yeah. Well, the yeah.
1: interesting thing is that because we're all human beings, we all show the same symptoms when the same things are happening. So, mm. I don't I that could have been the first time I've ever seen you shooting and I would have seen that. Oh, okay. Um and and the uh is just it, it's like think of it this way, it's a difference between uh if you watch some, if a, if a person that knows nothing about music were to watch me sing and play the guitar, and be right next to me and watch me and watch my hands move while I'm playing a song I've rehearsed all, over and over and over again, they'd be like, "Wow, he is a pretty good guitar player," because his hands are moving like calm and fluid, and and there he doesn't have to look at the guitar to do it, and it sounds really good. And there's like. Rhythm and dynamics to the way that the sound is rather than just like straight chords And then if that's all they think they're going to see that day like oh these are good But then immediately afterwards if you bring in Wendell And you sit them down in front of Wendell and you have him play Then all of a sudden it's like I didn't even know that that was possible to move your hands like that It's 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 like You can see the difference in the body language of the person when they're doing it completely intuitively and innate, versus if they're not. And I'm a good guitar player, but I'm nowhere close to like what Wendell is. And when Wendell plays, if you could have, if you could record Wendell, and in a video and mute it, so that all of your attention is on the way that he's moving, then mm-hmm. you do the same thing to me, you would see a then massive see difference. It, yeah, sure. Yes. And sure. that—that's—that's that's what you're looking for. It's—it's it's the fluidity and economy of movement, the yeah. efficiency of movement. And I
2: see it in, in other people, who haven't trained with you, mm-hmm. it, you know. And I see it in how you move. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go on to, to these. So, um, we already got a little beef, a beef, a brief background of your beef, <laughs> of your. Uh, of your experience shooting in the first part um so um i'm gonna read off actually what i gave you as a filter for everybody to hear does that sound good sure okay so the what i did was i wanted i wanted um uh, i gave curtis a filter to come up with questions and to think about how to answer the questions that i was going to give him and I'm going to read this filter. So, here's the filter. Um, During specific key moments or transitional periods of your learning journey, what were some of the main turning points or moments where if you had uh, the answer to specific questions, it would have shortened the progression time of your learning? And then what would those questions have been? Um, so, do you want me to start off with my questions for sure, you? Okay. Sure. Okay. So, here's... Uh, the first question so my first question to you is along the learning process of changing the way that you approached shooting mechanically and technically what roadblocks did you come up against that created a level of confusion in your understanding of how to approach the following things and we can answer each one individually so the first one is your approach to practicing then your approach to competing then your approach to decision-making during competition in terms of what strategy choices to make, and then your overall grasp and understanding of what is in all involved in being able to accomplish your goals in shooting. So, we'll start the first one. So, your approach in practicing. So, basically, during the process of you learning and changing the way that you approach shooting mechanically and technically, what roadblocks did you come up against that created some confusion in your understanding and how to
2: practice? So, in generally mm-hmm. across across all four of these. Um, it would be a reoccurring theme is the understanding of my eyes, body and mind and how they work together mm-hmm. and how to allow them to work together.
0: <clears throat>
2: and that's just that's just kind of generally across across all of that. As far as practicing, it really, um, I guess it's the, the difference between fun, play, banging away at, at clays, um, you know, going out there when, when I, you know, when I used to practice and shooting a lot. But not really having um, a direction. Just thinking that I was, well, you know, I was building the target library, so to speak. But when I went out there, you know, and shot a case to, you know, 350 shells or something like that. I also had shot maybe... Oh... See, maybe 50 different targets, yeah, or 70 different targets, or and then shot them frontwards and backwards. And you mean prior, yeah, prior yeah. in the way that you know. So, realistically, you know, how was I learning it was too. I wasn't diluted. learning. Yeah, it was. It was too diluted on those days. And yes, I'm, but I'm not focused on any one thing. Yeah. The volume, other than, other than breaking clays, like right. it goes back to what we were talking about before. It was I was focused on breaking clays. Yeah. Not on, you know, how do I want to break this clay,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and spending time learning that clay developing that clay um into something that is how i do it from now on yeah or something like that yeah into something stable yeah and solid i i basically didn't i didn't necessarily and there were times i had by the time i found you um i had i had revised how i was training and i was doing i was doing things like going out and doing um like uh a mock 100 bird round and I was going out and you know like say only shooting singles and you know trying to break 8 to 10 you know and and making good mo- you know and making good shots but it was all about the final of that shot it yeah. didn't have it I I was never really working in the Eyes, body, and mind categories of getting it to be better, Mm -hmm. and recognizing what in the shot wasn't correct, and where I and how I wanted it to be before I took the shot. I was just, you know, I was I was changing things and stuff like that as I was practicing at that time. I was, you know, I was calling pull and. Putting the barrel further in front, yeah and putting the barrel below and you know I was using other techniques to to shoot the birds you know pull through pull away I was practicing these different things I was practicing birds early middle and late I was doing I was doing some things that mattered and were good, but after doing that for a little while, I wasn't seeing consistency grow yeah. Um, I wasn't in, and I was looking at it, um, you know, because I guess when I became, you know, when I went from double A to master, I was like, okay, now, you know, now I gotta get serious. I gotta try, I gotta start. So when I go out, I need to start, um, uh, practicing with some, uh, you know, practicing some of this stuff and, and getting better. Mm-hmm. And in a little bit that happened. You know, say a year went past and I was, had dedicated to practicing more. And then I looked at, at the end of the year, how much, how much I had gained. And I was like, well, gee whiz, if I want to get to this place, yeah, it's, and you know, and each time you, each time you try and improve as you, start getting higher and higher in in your abilities the return is less yeah and i was looking at it's i'm not going to get there i i uh, there's a pretty good chance that over the next little while i would get discouraged because i would feel stalled yeah and so so then after working with you it i mean simply put started practicing with purpose yeah and when i mean practicing with purpose i don't mean i went out and had a quartering shot from the right that i spent a case of shells on right i'm sure if there's some problem that i've recognized in my game or a a particular shot that i want to develop i may go out and do something like that yeah where i spend several boxes on a particular shot but that's because i'm I'm trying to get the shot to become something that I'm not naturally comfortable with. I'm trying to develop this particular shot into something. I can break it other ways, but I want, I want this shot to be even more special in the bag of tricks, Mm -hmm. you know, that I can pull out when, um, you know, when, when it's my, when it's my right time. Yeah. And, um, so I still will do that, but. The biggest thing I learned, and I guess I'm going to jump forward to how I do it even even now. Um, you and I went out the other day. We were both pretty burnt from shooting the tournament uh, down in Texarkana. I pretty quickly realized that like we were going to shoot through the course that you set. And I quick pretty quickly realized that this wasn't... Uh, Thank God I was not shooting a competition today because I was not going to be able to do, you know, a hundred birds straight of taking it completely serious. Yeah. But what I could do was take portions serious. I could see, I could see a pair or a shot and I could say, okay, for this one, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on how my eyes feel as i see that as i see that shot and can i have that be better and how how does that affect me yeah um i'm gonna work on um how i move the gun with this with this next shot i'm gonna work on my transition from one to another to be precise and it and where my eyes go after i shoot the first bird where my eyes snap to where the gun comes to and how that next move um, goes goes forward. Yeah, I think. And, and specifically, like, okay, that's for this pair. Right. I may kind of take the next pair off in in, in what we did the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just where I was mentally. in yeah. Because I was more exhausted than I thought. On a normal time, I'll do it a bit like that but everything will be purposeful yeah i won't take i went out that there, there was i had a good practice down in um uh down in florida after i had shot uh, uh blackjack and i went back on i think it was tuesday monday or tuesday after uh blackjack and uh they and i had asked bruce uh, potter down there if he was going to change the targets and he said no they'll be the same on these two courses, one of the courses he had changed. Um, and I was like, oh, great, because those were the two courses that I had a couple of struggles on, and I remember exactly which stands. So I went back out to those particular stands with them fresh on my mind and took a couple of moments. So just so if we talk about one stand, I took a couple of moments, and I looked at a pair, and I thought about how I shot it. And then I looked at another pair and thought about how I would shoot that now, with a little bit of knowledge about it, made a new plan, and then I I worked on that plan a bit, mm-hmm. um, because I, it was a station that I didn't shoot well. I didn't make the right choices. I either didn't get, for whatever reason, it, maybe I didn't get my eyes there. Maybe I maybe I was over aggressive. I overcooked the shot. Whatever it was. And I tried to get rid of that, make a new shot, make a new plan. And then I tried to, I tried to perform that. And if it worked good. And then I tried to test it. You know, I tried to tell, okay, if that's true, can I do it sooner? Uh, Where is it that I just put my eyes and it worked? And what is it like if I move my eyes to see it a little sooner? Yeah. Or am I even trying to see it a little too early? What happens if I move them a little late? Yeah. Um, where am, Where are my start points? You know, um, how is my... Uh, maybe I was in my transition from one bird to another. Maybe I was putting too much energy into that. What happens if I move more calmly, move the eyes quickly to their spot, but move the gun more calmly. Yeah. And I specifically do that. I mean, if you watched me shoot that, that day, all you would have seen was me go and look like I was shooting bird, single birds and pairs of birds. And it wouldn't look like I was doing something, mm-hmm. but I was doing something. I left that, that little practice session that I had there at black I left a exhausted.
1: Yeah, I I think Um, the thing about what you're doing that's important for people to take away is it's a a multi-level involved process of practicing where you're isolating and picking a specific variable of movement that you're trying to both pay attention to, but also influence in some way. You're trying to change it. And that would be your eyes or your, you know, whatever it is, whatever specific thing, you know, you mentioned that uh about the the practice two days ago at blue rock and then at, at uh, blackjack but uh so it's like you know you're isolating a specific thing that you're paying attention to to try to influence then you're also uh taking in the information that you observed as you tried to execute it and then you're also asking yourself and in an analytical way how did it affect me what changed what was that like you're, you're assessing the experience to compare and contrast off of other ones. And in a way, it's a, it's a very analytical but also exploratory practice where you're, uh, you're learning as you go um, by a, a, like a comparative analysis. Mm-hmm. And you're gaining data points as you go, as, you're, as you work on practice. But it's important to understand that that's not really possible if you have your attention in the wrong place.
2: Yes, you know. when, when taking it back to a couple of uh, a couple of episodes ago, when you went over types of practice. Yeah. Now, it, now it's important. It's also important to understand all the types of practice, for the most part that you talked about. I'm in a practice session like that for me. I'm doing almost all of them. Mm-hmm. It at different times for different reasons, because. I've worked with you enough to, to know, you know, to, ha- to be able to go out on a day alone and mix them. Yeah. I mean, I was even, I was even doing things like, and I'll do this because I had to use the delay. Right. I was also changing delays mm-hmm. so that, um, it would kind of, the amount of time that I had between me pushing the button and having the gun ready, um, Testing to make sure I didn't like didn't amp up and rush too much. Yeah. You know, how calm can I be if I shrink the delay down? Yeah. Right. Um, I was extending the delay. How calm do I stay and how ready do I stay if the delay is longer than anticipated? Kind of, you know, playing around with some things that. I noticed weren't good on, on, on a couple of days prior, you know, and, and just, just testing, 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 you know, I wasn't there to, I don't, I honestly really didn't care. Like, like we've talked before, I wasn't there to break targets. Now the target breaking the target gives me, you know, an external that tells me, okay, that worked at least enough to break the target. Yeah. Okay. But I'm looking for, in some cases I'm looking for more than that. Right. I'm looking, I'm looking for, did I feel like I owned it that entire time and got the result I was looking for? Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where I'm testing, you know, all over the place, you know, and I'm testing for the future. Yeah. I see this target. I see a pair like this again. Um, you have a good experience yeah yeah so like so that i so that the first pair that i do um i make the right choices i choose the right guns hold point start point i choose a break point that is familiar and comfortable enough to me that i don't overextend myself right out of the gate on a first pair yeah. and get one of these pieces of the puzzle wrong.
1: Would you say that if you were to try to summarize everything you, cause the question was like, how did changing like along your learning process of changing the way that you approach shooting mechanically and technically, how did your approach to practice change? Would you say the summary of that would be prior to learning this, your approach to practice was learning targets and after learning this your approach to target your approach to practice was
2: learning you yeah learning me and movement in the process yeah you know the, the whole the whole soup to nuts breaking it down a bit more from the time even if I'm out just banging away yeah it appears I'm just banging away with a buddy um, Maybe he's asking me for some advice and I said, okay, well, I'll go shooting with you. I'll, I'll take a look at what you do and I'm going to shoot some too. You know, a vast majority of the ones that I take even doing that, I'm going to run a short little process, a short little test on this bird and see and see what it's like. Yeah. It might just be as simple as, you know, I'm going to make a quick little plan, not doing much setup. And I'm going to see if I can do this, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to bridge everything and, and, and see if I can do it to basically put the system under, put the process and the system under a little bit of stress and scrutiny at all times. It's going to look like I'm just banging away. Yeah. But I quit. I pretty much quit taking shots that didn't matter in some way. Yeah. And in comparison most of the other shots that i took didn't matter. Right. They were all 100% focused on the break of the bird. Yeah. And and only really that, only the result. Yeah.
1: It's but, amazing how how the, the the quantity of shots that are taken that way in practice oh, if you don't really know what you're doing. Oh, I mean, it is a it's like a, it keeps gun clubs in business. Yeah. Maybe yeah, I mean I would. I should to, get a sponsorship from from gun clubs to I not talk about that. this to keep I, them
2: in business. To, I mean to be to be honest, it's part of the reason that when you know it, it's 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 funny because you know for for people that are not pro, they always talk about oh I was listening to this podcast with X Y Z who's also won the U.S. Open mm-hmm. and they said they never practice yeah or hardly ever practice or they only practice you know this this much or whatever well what what nobody ever really says is that practice is different Mm -hmm. right they may be tuning something they you know they've already got all the skills they've already got or most of them you know they've already got what it takes it's it's like a refresher or it's a tune-up or it's something like that and then once it's there The rest of it, you could actually be doing damage by continuing to shoot because all you're going to do is develop lackadaisical bad habits, you know, because you'll, you'll overextend on the focus that you have available to pay attention during that practice or, you know, or in between shoots or something like that. And, you know, you'll actually go the other direction. Right. And not and start not focusing on birds mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that so i actually don't shoot as much practice birds i shoot a lot more competitions now um and bigger competitions but i don't shoot as much practice as yeah. I, as i used to yeah but every every time i do you know i can go out now shoot i don't know 100, 150 shells and feel like I really got something out of it. That I got triple what I would have gotten out of 350 shells or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would have gone back and shot 350 the next day. Well, a lot of it has to
1: do with, you know, like I detailed this neurologically in one of the episodes I talked about, but basically if you're practicing with the focus on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, even though you think you're practicing, you're actually, it's like, say that you need 51% of the, the cataloged shots in your, to use plain English muscle memory, um, which is not a real thing, but it makes sense for people. So let's say you need 51% of all of the shots you've ever taken in your muscle memory that have been cataloged. And not every shot is cataloged. Only when you get a dopamine spike, it's cataloged. So you say you need 51% cataloged to, to make that be your go-to move non-consciously. If when you're practicing and you're shooting high volume and you're not paying attention to what your body is doing or what your eyes are doing or what emotional state you're in, but you're hitting birds and you're letting yourself get pumped up about that, then... The reality of the fact is that definitely not 51% of the shots that you're taking are the exact thing you're trying to learn. It's much less than 51%. Yeah. So what ends yeah. up happening is you, you get dopamine spikes that just dilute that percentage of catalog shots that need to be good. But you're basically diluting it with bad shots. And so really the more that you go to practice in that way where you're just banging away shots and shooting, you know, you know, I talked to some students and, and, and I said, well, how many, how much do you practice? And I'm thinking they're going to answer me like, Oh, you know, w- you know, one to four times a month. And it's like, Oh, you know, two to four times a week. It's just like, Holy cow. Okay. How many are you shooting each day that you're going every week? Oh, about, you know, maybe about a half a case to a case every time. And if that's the case, then you know, for me to shoot a case where I'm, you know, two hundred fifty shots where yeah, I'm doing if I'm it right.
2: Care about all of them. That takes a whole day. That's a that's a lot of caring. That's a lot, and I mean, well, unless you unless you're gonna set me, you know, the quartering bird from the right that I'm gonna work on, and I'm shooting half of those at just that one bird. Yeah, right. That's a little different because so much of it ends up abridged because you're using only the stuff for that particular bird.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, if I, if I uh, literally just the time it takes to pay attention to what happened to analyze, to, to uh, put effort into, into programming what you want to happen, to make a decision, to, to assess all your awareness on the things that you need to be aware of to execute the move, then to assess what happened for 250 times. That's gonna take me, at a minimum, probably four hours.
2: It should take. Yeah, it's gonna take a lot of
1: time. Yeah, and so, so then that what that means is if you're shooting that much, you're not doing it that way, unless you're literally shooting, you know, four to six hours four times a week. But then that's your job. Yeah.
2: And um. Yeah. It, yeah. No, and so yes. nobody's doing that, you know. you're banging, so, you're, you're banging away in a lot of those shots. Yeah. Even I mean, there's times if when, doing it, you know, if yeah,
1: there's times when, you know, you do, you know, quantity is an important thing to learning, but you also need that qualitative, uh, focused approach to practice that's less volume.
2: I mean, I think and, a good volume one might be okay. Um, everything else aside, I'm going to work on my feet task mount today. Mm -hmm. Just go out and shoot a ton of targets with 100% effort on getting that mount to the right place every time. And don't, don't necessarily worry about the eyes. Don't necessarily worry about the rest of the move. Don't worry about the break. And it's just the move from touching your side you know, nine inches down or whatever,
1: twenty five centimeters, yeah,
2: right up and touching and firing when you touch touch the cheek or whatever. You know, if that's what you're gonna work on, okay, then that's so isolated that you can bang away, yeah, and that's the only thing you're paying attention to, and you're gonna go through a bunch of shells doing that, yeah, right. But boy, that you know, if you're if you're really working on the game, you're not, you know, you're working on more. You know, each shot you're working on more than just your mound, mm-hmm. typically, unless you found, you know, new gun. Right. You know, yeah. I would say, you know, you get a brand new gun, go out and bang out a lot of shells. Yeah. And get get to know that thing so that you can even start doing the other things, running processes. And not interrupted by this thing's lighter than my old one. Right. Or it doesn't mount to the same place on my cheek than the old one. And not interrupted by those types of things because Mm -hmm. those are distractions. And just get to know the gun. Yeah. Right. That would be very important. Yeah. That's a day where, I mean, when I got a new
1: stock and forehand on my gun, I think I went out last year and I'm like shooting 750 a day for three days in a row. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I've seen... I've seen you struggle with like something changed on your stock and we went out. We went out to shoot something and I realized pretty soon that you were shooting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you became a trapper. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. Why am I the one
2: pushing the button all the time? You know? And that's because you, you, that's all you were doing. Yeah. It was just about like this stock isn't in the right place. It's not mounting to the right spot. So all you were doing was taking shots, seeing if it was going to start getting comfortable for you. Yeah. You know, but you weren't really necessarily paying attention to the eyes. And you yeah, weren't paying attention capitalize. to the swing or ear foot position. You were just, can I move this gun and have it end up in the right, right. right place on my body? Yeah. What's the precision yeah. I have when it
1: hits my body? Yeah. 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 Uh, any more thoughts on the practicing? Do you want to move on to the competing? Yeah. Or yeah? yeah? Okay. So... How did going through this process change your
2: approach to competing um, and and I'm this is the answer the answer is fairly simple um, and it's something that as you know, I still have to work on an awful lot mm-hmm. and I, it's it's something I struggle with and it depends on what day it is how much sleep I've gotten stuff like that um, but and we talked a little bit about before, you know, whether or not, um, you know, sometimes I don't really care about score because I'm working on something that, you know, so that, that all being said, um, 100% engagement. Yeah. I mean, the simple thing, the the, the simple answer is learning how to be 100% engaged on every target in every plan on every pair paying attention 100% to everything that goes into making that shot and making sure that I'm not sloughing off on any of the aspects, you know, um, that as I've I've looked at a, a pair, if it's an easy pair, that I've still taken the time to think about and look at and consider... What could go wrong with that first bird? What are my tendencies on that first bird? Um, oh, what are my tendencies on the second bird? What could go wrong? Um, what is the best uh, road to correct for me? Mm-hmm. And then in there, I didn't mention anything about the transition from one to the other. Yeah, If I forget to put, you know, a 100% effort in... I don't think about the transition. Yeah. And the transition could very well be the key to consistently breaking that pair for me. Yeah, so think about have, the course I just set. Yeah, I have to think about the transition. I have to consider the transition. It you know, what's that transition like for me? I may watch a person a person right in front of me run the stand and not even look like there is any problem with the transition. Yeah. Between the birds but maybe they were a right-hander. Mm-hmm. And I'm a left-hander. And maybe as a left-hander, it there is a little bit of a complication to the transition from one bird to another yeah. in the sense that when I after I shoot the bird, maybe my gun will be in a place that I can't see the other bird. It's blocked by the gun. Yeah. And the only thing I can see the, is the gun. If I don't consider this, this is what I consider In hundred percents, right? How is that, what is that target doing? Where am I? Um, You know, I'm considering everything about the shot to shoot it. And I'm taking that all the way through the second barrel firing. Yeah. And then I'm starting over for the next pair and, you know, and doing my analysis and going through and doing that for what makes up a hundred birds or however many I'm shooting that day, Um, you know, and that's tough for me. That's tough for me because as one of the things that I, that I changed, that was one of the things right. is this awareness of how much goes into the shot. If you're going to control it, um, instead of just an awareness of whether or not I broke it and where the barrel was. Yeah. Right. Um, it takes more to do. You know, I can be aware of where the barrel was and whether or not I broke it on every shot and, you know, leave and leave, leave that round and feel like I could shoot three more rounds. Yeah. You know, if I do, if, if I really spend all of the diesel and go 100%, I don't mean fast 100%, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I did, but just, you know, completely engaged. 100% through an entire round, and that includes managing, you know, the water that I'm drinking, that I'm making sure that I'm drinking water, uh, making sure that I'm taking a snack at a reasonable time, um, that I'm not allowing myself to become too distracted, all these different things. Um, I can leave a round utterly exhausted, The the, the number of times that I end up having to stop a half an hour from the club and take a nap in the truck. Yeah. Is, oh, for sure. You know, is, is crazy just because I just spent so much energy. So let me ask you a question then. Do you, do you think
1: that somebody can shoot their absolute best without doing that?
2: I think there's people, I think there's people that, that, I don't know. You know, I hope I wouldn't offend anybody by this, but maybe if you just are not very thick in, in, in the skull. Yeah. I mean, like, if the world is so simple that you literally just, it's just that simple. Yeah. Uh, and... And, and you, and you do it and you're able to control it, but you're not even controlling it. It's just like how you are. I mean, it's like, you'd have to be, I, 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 I don't know the answer to this. Maybe it's, you just would have to be simple. i think. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. But, yeah. But, I think, um, I,
1: mean, I think the answer to that question is no um i don't think that you can be i don't think you can shoot your best without doing some type of that because I mean, you
2: have to have a level i think people have different levels I,
1: I think it's not different levels i think it's different languages and uh you know i think depending on what language you use then that's how you interpret that information you know like um what language do you use to communicate that you, for me, I would say that, you know, um, you know, you, you initiated and engaged in micro movement with your eyes on that bird instead of using smooth pursuit. And somebody else might just say the bird looked jumpy. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I
2: think it also, um, I think there's a different, perspective that you have to consider in this too is could you do it and shoot 80 and not put this kind of effort in yeah for sure yeah you can shoot. could you could you do it and shoot 85 yep it's gonna be more difficult yeah um can you do it and shoot 100 nope no way yeah, it's not gonna happen. On now, you know. there's
1: gonna be pe- you know there's twenty thousand people that listen to this, so mm. there's gonna be people that you know are gonna be like these guys are full of crap because I shoot ninety sevens on time, but that's a charity course. We're talking about NSCA, US Open level, World Championship level. Yeah, you start regional ta- level. You start talking about like US
2: Open or fucking like Northbrook.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, like at Northbrook.
2: <laughs> Or or like at you know, Backwoods this past year. I mean, the I mean, um, even even at Cross Creek in the woods, you got to pay attention. Yeah, I you mean, can't. There's there's just
1: it's it's a different understanding of of what's required because of different people's approach, mm-hmm. or because of different people's um, uh, uh, experience with the game in whatever
2: you know. Level that they've been engaged with. Yeah. Can you wing it and find ninety three? So uh, one time, or, on, a, or on a big course, uh, not on a big course. On yeah. on a local, you can wing it and find ninety three. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. wing. You might be able to wing it and find 90, 95. Good chance you won't do it next time. Yeah, because you're not really, you you don't really have a foundation, right? That you're working with when. When targets become you know unfamiliar and stuff you know i i was I was talking to you about you know I was spent some time just shooting the floor to swing you know and when your comfort level is challenged at ten miles an hour faster and every trap you know ten to fifteen yards further away than what you normally would see Mm -hmm. and backgrounds that you are not used to and styles of targets that you don't see very often. Um, you're going to have to have, you're going to have to put some planning. You're going to have to do, you're going to have to do some things to get that to go your way. Yeah. Because otherwise you wing, you wing something like that. And I've done it. I've, I've tried winging it. You know, when I, when I first went down to Florida a couple of years back and you know you, just, you end up feeling beat up yeah you, you know yeah. yeah it's so yeah it ain't happening <laughs> no um any
1: questions for me on that okay um how about as you've learned this new approach to um uh, well you're going to have to you're going to have to pick a spot to to hang out <laughs> Yeah, just, um as you criticism petting me enough. So yeah. <laughs> as you've uh you know, have gone through the learning process of changing all this stuff. Um it, it, we kind of covered this in this in the last two questions, but talk to me a little bit about how your approach to decision making during competition in terms of your strategy choices that you're making, strategy choices that you're making. I can't talk um, how that's changed. I mean, we kind of really did just talk about
2: basically it, it just has yeah. now existed. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, you know um, a consciousness of of uh, you know of prior to the shoot, what am I doing? you know uh, you know, how much coffee am I drinking? some things like that that then go and influence my shoot, a consciousness during the shoot, of what states that I'm in, mm-hmm. in between states. You mean like emotional, visual, yeah. physical? Yeah. yeah, you know, um, are my eyes working? Um, say if you have like a, a baseline average that you expect out of your eyes, are, do they happen to be working better today? Or do they seem more acute? Mm-hmm. Um, or do they seem sluggish? Um, and, and trying to match up... Um, my strategies with who who I am, um, and then also you know endurance. Yeah, you know, and we talked about that a little bit already. You know, it, it, instead of throwing the heat to every stand through a hundred bird event, um, just just shoot and and break and and break some and move on. Yeah, um, and. Uh, you know and and put that put that one in the bank that's a that's a big reason why
1: i don't like i don't like general applications and explanations of things because you know if if you identify as a specific style of shooter like in terms of how aggressive you are on pairs mm-hmm. or how you know the problem is that that's just not always applicable no and
2: no I've learned, that's learn. that's what i that's one of the things I'm learning. like, I'll go, I'll go to a local back home. I may do it this coming Sunday just because, um, and I'll just right out of the gate, I'll be like, you throw me the heat and I'm <laughs> blasting it. Yeah, give him a little chin music. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm going bang, bang, yeah. you know, all day long, right? Showing them the stuff. Yeah. I just show, I'm showing them the stuff and I'll be damned. You know, this might be the day it lasts for a hundred birds, <laughs> yeah. you know? 20 birds in, it's you gone. You know, I <laughs> haven't had that. Usually, you know, it'll go, it'll go 20 birds in, it'll look amazing. And then I'll just, you know, and then I'll just turn it into a, a train wreck you can't take your eyes off of. Then it'll come back around for another 20 birds. Yeah. You know, and at the end, you can see it in the scorecard. Mm-hmm. Oh, every and time. You can see it in the score, but you can also see it in the scorecard. It's like, you see where wow, it, you know, okay. you, you started at first five stations, you ran. What happened to six, seven, and eight? And then it looks I like was stubborn, you know, nine, 10 and 11, you were back, you know? And then what happened to 12, 13, 14? You I know? mean, think about how many of the video calls we've done over the years where we're looking at that. Oh yeah. We, we have tons, tons. Yeah. You know, we look at different things in those video calls, but that was one, that, you know, and it's like, I don't know why this is happening. You know, it's because you're throwing, the, you're throwing the heat to it. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like you got two trash can lids, and I'm going to see how quick I can shoot them. Yeah. Yeah, you're like bombing. Just, yeah, just yeah. just break the trash can lids and go to the one that's next because that thing might be at 60 yards. Yeah. And you might need... You're taking off like Usain Bolt on off-speed yeah. floppers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm not finishing like Usain Bolt. You know? <laughs> no, you are way ahead of the bird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, re- it's a consciousness of having some strategy and how to how to play the game you know like we talked about uh, from my round you know last Friday to Saturday to Sunday you know and I played a conservative round more so on Sunday and it treated me pretty well yeah Um, but I had I was purposefully going to break as many targets as I could and not have it be and and not let myself get out of control. Yes. And and uh, that was my strategy that day. Stay calm. Maybe take the target a little later than I normally would. You know, and ensure some breaks. Mhm.
0: Yes.
2: You know, and now I'm 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 learning that. Uh, that I'm I'm learning to, con- learning to control that some more. Yeah, that head. that was very good
1: and and you should feel really good about that because um... You know the that I was so happy to see that in your in your approach to that round,
2: um, because it's it gives you so much valuable data. Mm -hmm. Again, body of work, right? Yeah. Um, I take that experience that worked, and I move forward with that. Now that might not be how I get to shoot next time. Right. Right. I might not be. I might not have the patience to do that. Um, I might have to. I might have to cook some birds to stay in the game Mm -hmm. because I just might not have enough patience Yeah, and knowing it. But again, a body of work to learn from so that when you get like, you look at a guy like Bill McGuire, Bill McGuire or Wendell cherry has immense bodies of work of how they shoot and knowing how they, what they can do. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what you're talking about. I mean, you're talking about building that for yourself. Yeah. And when you start looking and considering things like emotional connectedness to the bird, um, and, and to the outcome and, you know, you start talking about these extraneous things that are not just the move and the bird. Um, you know, it becomes, it becomes a lot, it becomes a lot to work on. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. A lot to get, a lot to get correct.
1: So that you just literally pulled me right into the next question, which is that, um, I'll read it off so I get it right. Talk to me a little bit about the change in your understanding of the, of what all is involved in being able to accomplish your goals in shooting now. Um,
2: the totality of it. Like there's, there's so much for me personally, I I always, you know, got preface it with, me and how I think and how I do things the totality of it of what I what I want to achieve is one thing but and I don't want to say the complexity of getting there because it's not necessarily complex but you know the discipline and the totality of working on my game and working on you know the different shots and the making the right decisions and and uh Playing the, the game, uh, to win and mm-hmm. and and picking the right strategy, um, and uh, doing doing those types of things is the the, the totality of it. And then, um, and then the other thing is the continued commitment um, to change, and to learn and to grow in the in the openness to let those happen yeah because you know i've worked with you for quite a while now and i'm still we're still working on things mm-hmm. and the things that we now work on were very are very very different so much than more. than when i first started working with you when we first started now every once in a while there'll be something that maybe i'm getting a little bad habit on or something like that and we'll have to do a little a little reverse review of, mm-hmm. of something. But it's like, oh okay, yeah, I remember now. You know, I, I'm not taking that part serious right now. Right. And 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 that. But you know, if you're gonna if you're really gonna you know, if you're gonna commit to you know to the goals, you're gonna have to be willing to make to make to make changes <laughs> and you know, what are you going to have to learn about yourself, about the game, um, to make that change? And yeah. Then, and then, you know, and then you're going to grow. And then what's what's next? Right? You're not going to be done. Yeah. You know, even yourself, you're not done. I mean, I see you work on things for yourself all the time. 24 years
1: into it. Yeah. You know, it kind of puts something into perspective. I was... I was watching and thoroughly enjoy. I was talking to you about it earlier today. Like, I thoroughly have been enjoying that TV show on uh, Netflix about uh, the PGA tour. Uh, and, and it's called, I think it's called Full Swing. And basically, at the beginning of the year, they picked a certain amount, they picked a few guys on tour, and they just literally followed them around all year at their house to their trainer practice rounds, hanging out with friends, going to the tournaments, flying to the tournaments, and their Airbnbs at every tournament. And it's fascinating. The stresses
2: of not winning, the stresses of... Everything. Everything.
1: And and what's so interesting and fascinating to it is because, is for me, being somebody that does that in a different sport, Mm -hmm. it's like watching my life, but on a golf course instead of shooting. And... To put everything into perspective, when when I have people that come to me, and or or even if they go to somebody else, if if one of your goals is to compete with someone like me, that and this is gonna sound egotistical, but it uh, but it's just putting it into perspective. That's like me watching that show, and thinking that. I'm going to give myself 3 years to compete with those guys in their game. It's not possible. Uh, I mean, it it could be possible. It's not possible. <laughs> you know. It's just not possible. It's I don't
2: a, know that you could I don't know that you could build the inventory. You can't. That's that's, that's what it that is. That you need.
1: I can I can hit a ball as far. Yeah. And I can I can putt pretty damn good. I can hit I mean I for a long time was a really good golfer uh, and uh i know it would not take me long to make it to where if i go out to a course like the, i'll pick the best golf course in arkansas i'll go out and i'll golf under par oh, oh. I'll. i could do that in three months of practice i guarantee you I'll t- and here's on, on that golf course. this is what i'm saying let me finish this yeah. whole explanation in, in in a few months i can go out and hit those scores and the and the other thing that i bring to the table is my experience of being able to handle pressure i watch i actually watch i'm watching them struggle in matches and i am immediately like immediately thinking like oh my gosh they're this is they're they're nowhere near the competitors that my peers are in my game mm-hmm. uh, they don't know how to deal with the mental aspect of it like they uh, uh brooks kepka they were showing him after he had gone Three or four years and won like four majors and he's in the biggest slump i've ever seen any person and and he's so clueless as to what he's doing wrong that he he it's literally in his tone of voice as he talks how he mentally approaches every tournament everything and i'm sitting there looking at like this guy is making hundreds of millions of dollars playing this game he's looked at as a professional athlete but every person that i have to compete against in my game is better than him at being an athlete And so the interesting thing about it is that like I would bring that aspect to the table. So immediately I have the mental aspect of golf to be able to perform equally uh, as those guys. Uh, And in a few months, I could score equivalent scores as they could if I took it as hard as they do. I mean, if you watch the show, you'll see how much they practice. It would take me 15 years minimum to be able to actually
2: compete against them. Yeah to, to, to be to be out on the tour and show up to basically have your caddy go a half a week early and him play the course and then you show up on Wednesday to play around on Thursday. All you do is walk the course on Wednesday. They and,
1: get practice and, rounds, yeah. Oh, they do, yeah. Yeah, some of them um, multiple
2: and and basically with your caddy, but get to play those courses. In those courses that they play, I've played some courses Same. That, that are on the PGA. They're not, they're not your course that you. For one, they're very expensive if you play them, um, but man, they are just they're full of dynamite. It, it's well, and just, you
1: think they're hard when you play them. Yeah. Play them when they have a PGA event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I we're mean, talking a whole nother level. Yeah. I mean, but it, but it is, but literally score wise, mechanics wise, mental game wise, I'll be equivalent to them in a year. Yeah. I can't beat them for two decades from now. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's because
2: they're, they are showing up every day on every course for every swing, no matter what the conditions, you know. And I'm driver off the deck. Yeah, right? I mean literally, like I'm I'm one I'm one back, and I could I might be able to reach it. I'm driver off the deck, and it could go in in me. It go completely wrong. Yeah, right. Like I, I I couldn't I I I would I would be getting me to lay up in golf, and and I can play some golf. Getting me to lay up in golf is ooh, that ain't happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you <laughs> when you listen, this is why I love this show because I have so much respect for everything that they're. Do- I see, like I said, I see my life in a different game, mm-hmm. and and it's cool to have the perspective that I have of shooting, but watch another game and be able to pick up on all the things that they're doing, mm-hmm. and and listen to them talk about shots. Talk and it's like, and this is where the difference is between me being able to have the mental game have the scores be able to go out and put the round and if you uh, in, i mean with as much as i know about learning physical movement and mechanics and things and as good as my golf already is i know that if i s- studied tiger woods swing in slow motion in a, in a few months i would have an identical swing.
2: Well, but, you think about it too. It's like you go out you shoot not even a not even a grand uh, or a grand Prix feet test or something Just a standard feet test 100 Hertz Right, a hundred birds that are almost all different. Yeah. Right, and they make sixty-five swings. Yeah. Let l- swings. Let me
1: finish my statement because it's gonna. If you cut me off yeah. there, it's gonna sound like I'm the biggest cocky <laughs> asshole known to man. Okay, so don't let don't cut me off. When I'm gonna sound like a dick. I know, I'm gonna... But yeah, but the uh, but yeah. So like in a matter of months, I can have an identical swing to him if I study that and w- with a, w- what I know about internal awareness and things like that. But when I listen to these guys talk about their knowledge of the minutia of the game, of things that influence, like, you know, what... uh, My ability to play scratch golf is all based off of feel and very little knowledge. Their ability to play golf is based on a a level of understanding of golf that I have in shooting, plus the feel. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what's so hard in order to be able to do this, and that's why... Like the reason why I say de- uh, decades for me to be, I don't even think it's po. It's not possible for me. If I if if you were to say David, I'm gonna write you a blank check for the rest of your life and anything that you need. If someone came up and said that, and, and all you have to do, your goal will be to become a professional golfer and be in the top five in the world on average every year. I would say I so much appreciate that. It's just not possible because I I don't think I think uh, like. It's just not possible. And the uh, it, thankfully, in shooting, though, it is still possible. Because yeah. shooting doesn't have the scientific advanced research and the money in it so that the professionals can be professionals. Whereas in golf, th- it does. And those guys, I mean, when I watch that show, I'm like, my God, I'm thinking like, you know, every day these guys are in the gym for half the day and then they go to the range for the rest of the day. And then they have trainers and they have uh, they have chefs that travel with them everywhere. And they and then they have planes that will fly them. I mean, if I had a life like that just to be able to compete and if every one of the top pros in the world in shooting had that, the the, the skill that we would accumulate would be insane. But we don't have that, which is why it's open to be accessible for somebody in a certain amount of years to be able to get equal to us because we still have to
2: work a job. If you, if you were able to meet with an eyes coach three mornings a week for an out three yeah. mornings every day, three mornings a week yeah every day of, of the year um you know, for an hour just working on the eyes, follow this dot. Oh you, yeah. You know what I mean? Amazing. And then later on, later on that day, you know, and you got a massage after every round, mm-hmm. and you know, you there. There was science behind. Listen, after you finish a round and you're getting a massage, there was science behind you listening to a waterfall while you're getting the massage, and it and that being able to take what you learned in that round and solidify it. And that's what they do. Yeah. Right. That's how much, that's how far they go. And we don't have any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like there's no, eye. there's no, eye coach, you know, that's coming by my tent. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, or, or anybody's tent. Right. There's just, there's just you wandering around, wondering why your eyes didn't work well today, you know, yeah. and hoping that by drinking some more water tonight and getting some more rest, that they work tomorrow. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, I, I think, uh, it, yeah, people, uh, you know, just, just, I mean, you talk about them being in the gym and it's not necessarily uh, for, for the 68 swings that they might make that day. It's for the 68 swings that they're going to make four days in a row and walking those courses,
1: well, it's also like that's, to to create like elasticity in their muscles yeah. and, and flexibility and to increase
2: range and I mean, all if this stuff. If you've just if you've just walked a golf course, you know, one day, one time for eighteen. That's a that's that's one fourth. And that was one day, that was first day, so you're fresh, right? That is that is one quarter of what they do to get through a tournament. Right, and and that's saying that they didn't have a practice day or two practice days, or do it the week before the weekend before. Yeah. Right. I mean, walking a golf course is no joke. Yeah. Right. I mean, usually when I've walked them, I've carried my own bags. You know, they have caddies, but still, walking a golf course, putting your brain under that amount of stress, uh, as far as making those decisions, you know, uh, having some of the decisions go bad. Yeah. More stress. Right. And holding rounds together, you know, getting into the, you know, leading. How hard is it, you know, how hard would it be? Our sport doesn't even have this. Moment to moment, stroke to stroke, knowing that you just gave one up that he took from you and he's two holes back. Yeah. Right. Knowing that the entire time would be that's a whole different level that we don't we we are not even close to.
1: Well, we've yeah. had that we've for sure had that. I mean, we had that in the PSCA for 4 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had that in the Super Squads this year. Um, I think that's a personality based thing. I personally would love the sport to go to that cuz it would help me. Uh, there's other guys who would hate for the sport to go that way because they don't know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And but also the other subtle difference that, uh, in their sport and everybody knows this difference, but you know, if they get one up on, if they get one under you, so to speak,
2: you can, I mean, there's a stretch. There's well, you,
1: you can, you can birdie one. Yeah. You can do an
2: Eagle one. Yeah. You can take something back. Yeah. You know, you can, in our sport, you can't really, you're done. Yeah. You can't really put the screws to it and, and, and make comebacks that somebody else isn't already on par to do yeah right I mean the guy that's having a good day is already shooting what your comeback looks like yeah I, I think that that
1: honestly I mean I've played very serious golf I think shooting is harder mentally but I think golf is better because it's not as demoralizing if you're like you can it is for an optimistically minded person you can always make up ground in golf you cannot make up ground in shooting you miss one you're out um and that has to do with if you're competing live with somebody or if you know a score in golf that you need to go beat and you need to make the cut and you go bogey, bogey, bogey. Well, and you need to go four under that day. Now you there's a seven there's a seven stroke, you know, difference. Mm-hmm. You you can birdie you know seven out yeah. of the next twelve, yeah. and then and then you're back. So and that but also if you're playing head to head, you can do that. There's always that optimistic aspect to it, and that makes it that makes it easier mentally. But I will say that uh so i would say, i would give a point to shooting for the difficulty of it but i would give 100 points to golf for the excitement of the possibility that you can go birdie birdie birdie, birdie 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 yeah. yes because that's a, that that makes golf the most beautiful game in the world because you can't get the most exciting thing in sporting plays is that you just do what is there to do you just hit them yeah. in golf you can you can rally back, and you can, you know, well, the, you yeah. can th- 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 hit and an albatross on a par five, <laughs> you know, from two hundred yards out, you and win. Get,
2: you you don't get any kudos for doing doing something that's pretty darn cool in our sport. Like, so you know, you shoot a, a bird, an incomer, uh, you shoot it off the arm, and it gives you tons of time on a bird that everybody's had trouble with for the second bird. It's like, Oh, wow. That was, that was, that was gutsy. And, but all you did is break both birds. Yeah. Right. It's like where, that
1: game you and I played in practice that one time at Remington gun club where we could get bonus yes. points with yeah, that. That was, that was fun. That was, so, now would that not be a fun game to televise?
2: Yeah. yeah, that would be neat. That would be neat. I mean, it's like, okay. So yeah, you're, you're one back. You know, I said, you know, I made a joke earlier is driver off the deck. Oh, that's, that's possible oh yeah right the, the impossible shot you know I got, I love I love Bubba Watson you know because he's such a you know he's such a shot shaper and it's like you watch a lot of Bubba and he doesn't do it quite as much but when he was you know in his heyday it was like oh watch this right he's gonna take he's taking something from somebody if he makes this shot yeah right because no one's gonna make this shot yeah you know it's some you know cool, cool stuff like that but yeah, but I think you know as far as, you know, the you know back to the thing it, you know the, the grasp of the goals, uh, you know, it's just the totality of it, you know, and a willingness to change, um, a willingness to learn something new, and to allow yourself to grow and continue, is how you're gonna you know that's that's a big part of how you're gonna get to goals. Yeah, you know because you know, if it if you already had it, you'd be at your goal. Right. Right. So you're gonna have to do something. Yeah. And I don't mean just I don't mean just simply work hard at what you're already doing. hmm You know, because you probably would be closer to your goal if it was just simply about working harder. Yeah. You know, you're gonna have to work hard but you're gonna have to be willing to change, you're gonna have to be willing to modify things, you're gonna have to be willing to be a little liquid in, you know, and, and the, the person that comes out of achieving that goal might not be the same person that went in, Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, you know, I mean, I don't mean, you know, I mean, you're still going to be the same person, but I mean like the style of shooter, what you take seriously, your grasp of, it your right? grasp yeah. of the game. Um, you know, what you, the, the places you put the most emphasis in the game, all those you know, tons of stuff. Is I'm going to be different. I'm different now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm different now as a shooter. I don't know, you know, guys that have shot with me um, over time, you know, who, who would recognize it, who would be, you know, who paid attention enough before versus, versus how I shoot now to recognize that I'm, that I'm different. My choices are different about how I shoot. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just the style that I shoot, but, but, you know, the choices that I make yeah you your know. filter for comprehension of what you're doing mm-hmm. and how and 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 how serious I am you know I mean it's like like I mentioned before I mean there's um you know there's there's shoots that I don't care about the score I'm working on something yeah well that, there weren't shoots like that right before you know and there's shoots that I do care about and I'm I'm gonna try and do every, I'm gonna pull out everything to see if I can use it right Yes. And, and get a score that, that I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Um, well, let's pause it there and do the live and then we'll come back to the second half of this.